Amen. Do we trust him? Do you trust him? He alone is the one who can give you salvation. He alone is the one who can give you hope. In fact, there's a lot of things he alone can do for you. And we're going to learn about some of those things this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the first letter of Peter. The first letter of Peter as we continue in our study of this epistle and continue in his introduction. Last time we were together, we, we learned a little bit about Peter and we learned a little bit about the historical context of this book and who the book was written to historically, although by extension, it is written for us. And there are many truths that we need to heed from this important letter. You remember the timing of this letter was written as persecution or at least rumors of persecution began to spread across the Roman Empire as now Christianity is illegal officially within the Roman Empire. And the letter is addressed in verse 1 to the strangers who are scattered. The strangers who are scattered. That word stranger also is translated in the very same book as pilgrims. People who don't have a permanent home. One of the results of persecution is just that. The loss of one's property and physical goods. Lost. Here we're seeing a group of people who have been scattered. Scattered throughout this region of Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And Paul is writing to them, and this book is going to deal a lot with suffering. Now, we have a hard time identifying with them here in our American culture and society. But suffering was real to these people. And it may become very real to us. And it behooves us, it is important for us to look to God's word and prepare ourselves as we hear rumors of persecution, as we hear of trouble that may come, as we ourselves find ourselves within this crazy world as strangers, not being able to identify with so much of our culture because so much of our culture is godless. We find ourselves as strangers. Imagine for a moment going back in time that you're in Ephesus, one of the places, one of the regions that this letter was specifically sent to. Ephesus, that place where Paul spent so much time. You've heard the news. AD 65. Paul has been killed in Rome. Do you feel like a stranger? Do you feel like a stranger? Sometimes when we think of strangers or pilgrims, we think of people who are cast down, people who are depressed, and we can see why. And so Paul is addressing these strangers, recognizing that they're not at home. They don't have homes. Recognizing that they've been scattered recognizing that they are in some ways refugees. 
And he begins his letter by encouraging them. We have a people who are hunted, wanted to be um, persecuted or destroyed. Their property has been taken away. How would you feel? Worthless? Unloved? An outcast? Nothing? And so he writes... To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then he says this. Elect. Elect. What's that mean? Here you are, looking at yourself, considering yourself as a stranger, a pilgrim, a nobody. And he says, you're chosen. You're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Do you see how this letter arriving in these churches throughout Asia Minor is arriving to people who are oppressed, and yet he piles on incredible descriptions of who they are. Who they are before God. Chosen, foreknown, sanctified, set apart, and grace to you. Not just grace for salvation, but the grace and the power and the strength, the every fullness of God in your life be to you and peace be multiplied. What an encouragement that would be. We read this sometimes in our American perspective and we, we sometimes take these greetings and we gloss over them as just that, greetings. We, we don't realize always the significance of them. But what Peter is doing here is he is laying the foundation Describing to these people who they are. Yes, he's recognizing their physical plight. He's recognizing their refugee status. But then he goes on to encourage them in their position before and in God. Before we dig into all of this, I'd like to read a larger portion of the epistle to set us into context. And then we're going to come back to verse 2 and, and exegete to dive into it more deeply. But follow with me. I'd like to read all of 1 Peter 1 and 2 down through verse 8 and 9 right there. Follow with me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and through salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice So now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all grass is as gra- for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 
If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, unholy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient." whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Great God, we give thanks to you this day that we have hope in you. We give thanks this day that though we be strangers, though we be a people not of this world, we rejoice in the fact that we are chosen, that we are foreknown, that we are sanctified, that we have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Lord, may this be an encouragement to each of us here this day. May it be a motivation to us to go forth recognizing and acknowledging and living who you've made us to be according to your grace and power. Be with us now as we, as we seek to study your word, as we seek to understand it more, as we compare scripture with scripture. May your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us in all truth. We seek you and acknowledge you now in Christ's precious name. Amen. This morning, are you elect, foreknown, sanctified, and sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ? This morning, have you received the grace and the peace of God. In fact, this morning is the peace of God multiplied in your life. We compare ourselves to the church of Asia Minor in the 80s, 60s, and there's hardly comparison. But yet we do still have trials. We still have difficulties. Nothing in the same way, relatively, but we do. Do we recognize these truths in our own lives? Because when we do, it will make a difference. Not only in our spirit, but in our behavior and in how we act. Let's look more closely at these words. The first thing I'd like to bring your attention to is God. In fact, not just God but the triunity of God. Did you notice it? 
In verse 2, we see all three persons of God. We see God the Father. We see the Holy Spirit. And we see Jesus Christ. All three. Distinct persons, individuals, but all one God. It's fascinating because we see them all involved in our salvation. Now, we use the word salvation in a general sense. In fact, we could speak a lot more of specifics here. In fact, there's a few words I'd like to bring your attention to. We see all three persons of the Godhead. And we see that all three of these persons of the Godhead are distinctly involved in our salvation. The first is God the Father. How is he involved? He is the one who has elected us. He is the one who has chosen us. What else has he done? He has foreknown us. This indeed means that he knows the end from the beginning and he knows all things. But it means much more than that. To be known of God and to be especially foreknown of God speaks of an incredible care for you. He cares about you because he knows everything about you. And not only in the moment does he know everything about you, he's always known everything about you. And it's resulted in him choosing you, and it's resulted in him pouring out his grace upon you. It has resulted in him extending to you peace that it might be multiplied. God the Father, he is involved in our lives by choosing us and foreknowing us. Then another big word, sanctification. Sanctification, I hope you know what that word means because it's an important Bible word. It appears all through our Bibles. It's translated another way. In fact, if we were to just skim down our page here in chapter 1 and down all the way to verse 15, we'll find the word here. It is the word holy. It's the word holy. Well, that's another Bible word. What's that mean? Well, it means that we are set apart. We are set apart. We are chosen and we're set apart to God. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. So sanctification means holy, and it means to be set apart. Now, this is really important, so much so that I want you to talk back at me. What does sanctification mean? What's it mean? Very good. It means set apart. That's important, and we're going to learn more about what that means as we go through 1 Peter chapter 1. It's fascinating to see how verse 2 is expanded here in, um, in verse 15. Well, actually, it's fascinating how the greeting 
entirely, the first two verses are expanded later in this chapter. For example, we see this issue here of being the stranger scattered throughout this world. And we see here um, the admonition given in verse 14 that we be as obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lust in our ignorance. We're not fashioning ourselves, the idea here, according to the world that is around us. Rather, we are called, elect, which is not the same as election, not the same as choosing, but is a, is a similar concept. We are called, and we are called to be holy. And so we are holy in all manner of conversation. There's another Bible word we need to know, which means the way we live. That means not just the words that come out of our mouth, but the conversation that our actions are showing forth. What our actions are speaking is what's going on here. And so we see this as an introduction to things further. And so we see that we are elect, we are chosen by God, we are foreknown by God the Father, and then we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, when does that take place? When do all each of these things take place? Well, we find in other references, comparing scriptures with scripture, that election, the choosing, actually took place before the foundation of the world. In fact, so also did the foreknowledge. Otherwise, foreknowledge doesn't mean foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is always, he knows all, always has known all before knowing election. How do we know that? Well, there's a few passages that we need to look at. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong reference. We're going to come back to 2 Thessalonians 2 in a moment as it relates to um, sanctification. Um, but before we do there, just turn a little bit further back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Now, Ephesians was not written by Peter, but it has the same author. meaning the Holy Spirit wrote Ephesians and the Holy Spirit wrote 1 Peter. And guess what? That means they're going to be in agreement with each other. That means that they're going to be similar as well. And so let's actually read the first few verses of the letter to Ephesians. Now, the people who are receiving 1 Peter have likely already received Paul's letter. I should, it's, it's very probable that they've already received this letter. And this is what Paul wrote to them. Maybe a few weeks before they get Peter's letter, maybe a few years. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Do you know what a saint is? A saint is a sanctified person. A saint is one who is set apart and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace. 
from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us, chosen, elected, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, that is set apart, that is sanctified, and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We could keep going on with the parallels, but we're going to come back to it because as we get later in the chapter, the parallels continue. But here we see again this idea of election, and it has to do with who we are. And so often, Satan comes along and his troublemakers and seeks to deceive us and lies to us as to who we are. And so often, we feel ourselves as nothing. And in a sense, we are nothing, except for the fact that that's not the case with God. And therefore, it's not the case. And in some senses, we could say, we're just dirt. And in a physiological perspective, you're right. But that's not who we are before God. We are chosen, set-apart people, precious to him. And glorious truth. He has chosen us, here it says, before the foundation of the world. And here it is that we might be holy and without blame before him in love. That's how we now compare Peter with Ephesians. It is that sanctification in the spirit, that setting apart. Now, election, God choosing people. Did you know that's a very controversial theological topic? If you didn't, you will know it. It's a big issue. It is a very controversial issue. And in some ways, I'd rather not have to talk about it because I'd like to just focus on being excited about the fact that we're elect and forget all of it. But I also want to teach you so that when you are challenged with things that are not according to God's word, you are prepared, ready to give an answer. In fact, Peter talks about being ready to give an answer in his very letter. And so it's important for you to have a deeper and broader understanding of election. First and foremost, don't try to redefine election. Election means to choose, to elect someone. Here, that is what is being described here. There's no reason or need for us to redefine it. Now, here we see in Peter that it says we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I said a few moments ago that foreknowledge is not only knowing beforehand, but is also knowing you in a relationship way. All right? But that does not mean to neglect the fact of him knowing beforehand. 
So it is an accurate statement to say that election does not undermine man's free will because when God elected those to be saved, he foreknew that they would believe. We can legitimately say that. That is accurate to say. I've read in certain occasions where people are uncomfortable in doing that, but it's accurate to say that. Now, having said that, we can't stop there because it is still distinct. And we know that if we turn back to Romans. Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 11 makes it very clear that the election of God has nothing to do with us. It's him. And so we have to keep these in balance. It is true. We can legitimately say that he has elected those whom he foreknows will believe. But we can't just stop there and act or say that that settles the issue. Because we have to deal with Romans. Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 9 uses an illustration from the Old Testament. We don't have time to go into it in full detail, but I'd like to give you a summary so that you have a basics of it, so at least you can write down these references in the margin so that you can keep track of them. That's what we call systematic theology. We're doing a little bit of systematic theology on the doctrine of election. And it's an important, it's, it's a valid and important part of exegetical Bible study is systematic and looking at it and putting it kind of in a system, putting all the pieces together in one place so that we don't get confused or narrowed or limited in our perspective in just one passage. And so Romans chapter 9 and verse 11 tells us of an illustration illustrating election relating back to Isaac and Rebekah and the twins within her womb. And here it tells us, as a parenthetic instruction in verse 11, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. This means that election, accurate to say, that election is according to the foreknowledge of God, knowing those who would believe, but here it is very clear to say that it has nothing to do with works. Even God knowing your works. He didn't choose you because of how special of good you do. There's nothing to do with that. And he uses the illustration with Jacob and Esau. Turn with me now, a few pages over, to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Here he's dealing with those who have actually are a part of a remnant. He's dealing with it historically, and he's dealing with it within the modern church era. He's dealing with the idea of a remnant. And he speaks of it here, if you follow, in Romans 11, verse 5. Even so, he says, then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. 
He's talking about the nation of Israel and the fact that there, there's, there's, there's a lot of them who don't, it seems as if God's cast off his people, but he hasn't. And he's making that point here. It's an election. And it's election not because they're such good people or have such good lineage, but it's of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So when we consider the subject of election, yes, indeed, election is God choosing, knowing aforehand of the relationship he would have and that there would be faith. But it's also God choosing in his grace. So this morning, as you consider your position, your standing before God, rejoice celebrate in the reality that you are chosen. So often there is a confusion with the doctrine of election, of discouragement, dread, or fear that am I a part of the elect? That's nothing to do with you. Your human response is to trust in God. That's what our responsibility is. And the election is all about him. It's for us to rejoice in, not to dread in. Does that make sense? Let's turn back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge, we've talked of a little bit. I'd like to just reference to you and refer you, you can jot down if you're taking notes, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is a beautiful passage dealing with Jesus speaking of his sheep. And one of the most precious parts of that entire chapter is when Jesus speaks of knowing them that are his. So often, especially if you can picture the situation in, in, a, in a refugee or a stranger situation, um, you, you feel invisible. You feel that no one sees you, no one knows your plight, your struggle, your problems. This is, again, uh, an ag, a, a, a God a, using Peter in writing this letter to show these people the great value they are to him. For he knows them, not just knows them, but he foreknows them. That's amazing. That's awesome. And that's all working of God the Father. Which then is a result in sanctification. And we've discussed sanctification a little bit by introduction. But let's now turn over, as I had you a moment ago, back to 2 Thessalonians. Again, we're going to see by comparing Scripture with Scripture how we can understand and see how these concepts are parallel one to another. And it's fascinating because he's going to deal with these same things and he's going to deal with them in the same context of encouragement. Look, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He writes, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation 
through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. This is important. This is very important. If you're ever dealing again with those of Reformed theology who are making a big deal about election, therefore our salvation has nothing, 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 nothing to do with human responsibility, and it's all about God choosing people, and it's all it's God. It's his, everything is him and his irresistible grace and all of that. Don't forget this one, because here in this one verse, the balancing truths are all presented. It's a thanksgiving, and it speaks of God from the beginning, chosen you to salvation through sanctification, that's the setting apart of the Spirit, parallel with 1 Peter, and belief of the truth. It's about believing the truth. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is do we believe God? Do we trust him? He has revealed truth to us. Do we believe him? Verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel. Here's the calling, which is a, a parallel connection to the, the choosing. He's got the choosing and he's got the calling. And the calling here is the gospel. And Paul has summarized that basically in the declaration that Christ Jesus has died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. Is it responded in belief? And it's to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I told you, this is all about encouragement because he goes on to say, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. That's the exhortation. That's the practical outworking of it is that we are encouraged in our position who we are. We are elect. We are foreknown. We are sanctified. Therefore, it can make a difference. If you switch back to Peter, it continues into that same idea in chapter um, in chapter 1, in verse 13, it goes, goes in dealing with all of who we are and our position. And then it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Going on with very practical admonition. And so, we are elect. We are foreknown. We are sanctified, set apart. And then look at that word, unto obedience. What is that? You see, God has done this so that we can be obedient children. And the first act of obedience is to believe the gospel. So again, 2 Thessalonians dealt with the human responsibility, that response. Here the response is included. It is obedience. There is a personal response in the same context of election, which is God's working, God's choosing. There's a human responsibility, that of obedience, believing the gospel. And look what it says next. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what's that mean? Well, we know that without the shedding of blood, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Hebrews 9 also speaks of the sprinkling of blood. What's the sprinkling of the blood? What does blood have to do with anything here? Why would blood be very encouraging? I don't like the idea of blood. It's a reference to something in the Old Testament. In fact, it's a reference to portions of the Old Testament that to most Christians are obscure because they don't know their Old Testaments. It's at the time when the temple and the tabernacle were dedicated. And part of the sanctifying, the setting apart of the vessels of the tabernacle is when they offered a sacrifice and they collected the blood of that animal. And they took a a plant and they dipped it into that blood. And you know what they did with it? They sprinkled it on the Ark of the Covenant. They sprinkled it on the golden altar. They sprinkled it on the golden lampstands and upon the tables of showbread. They sprinkled it on Aaron and the high priest wearing the glory garments. They sprinkled blood on him. They sprinkled the blood on the priests who were wearing the white linen ephods. And they also sprinkled it on the people. You think, oh, that's disgusting. That's repulsive. You're right. It was. Blood isn't anything pleasant. Or is it? In this very chapter, we're going to come to this at another time. It speaks of the blood of Jesus Christ in verse 19. As the precious blood of Christ. His shed blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, the sprinkling was a significant symbolism in the Old Testament of a sanctification and of a purifying. You say, that wasn't purifying. That was making grossly dirty. I know some of you hate blood. You've had a hard time with that. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a lesson in the Old Testament to show to us how desperately we need forgiveness and how vivid of a reality it is that it is only by the precious blood of Christ. Here again, this is the introduction to this letter. And as we continue in this letter, he's going to expand upon this. And we find that the sprinkling of the blood is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is precious, which is the only way to be saved, is by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we sing the song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? It's not getting baptized. At least not that kind of baptism. It's being washed in the blood of Christ. We sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And with all this consideration, knowing that we are elect, that we are foreknown, knowing that we are sanctified, that we have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, rejoice in this reality that the grace, and here it is, the grace of God is unto you. His favor, his loving kindness, his strength, his fullness is unto you. And not just his grace, his peace. No matter what 
is troubling our hearts, our souls, our minds, let us come back to this little verse and find encouragement. This can bring us out of the slew of despond or of the discouragement period or of a depression to recognize that this is who I am in God. And I can have peace. And this peace and this grace, when this is true, is multiplied. It's exponentially multiplied in our lives. So this morning, as believers, rejoice. Be encouraged that though you be pilgrims and strangers scattered, though you do not feel at home in this world, know that you're chosen, you're foreknown, you're sanctified by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ and rejoice in that truth. But perhaps this morning you're sitting here this day and say, but I'm not elect and I'm not sanctified. What's your response? Well, if we look in this very, very same, same book, and we look at verse 18, we have a declaration of the gospel. And it is this. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you can't be redeemed from your sin problem by giving money away or buying it or paying off God. Silver or gold, it doesn't work. No. It is with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. The election is before the foundation of the world. And it is foreordained, it is preordered that Christ shed his blood before the foundation of the world. But it is manifest in these last times for you. Here in this case, within the last 30 years. In our case, the last 2,000 years, these last days, these last times, and it is for you. Who by him that is Jesus do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. This morning, there is the answer. Is your faith and is your hope in God. That's how we're saved. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and putting our faith and our hope in him. Verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls. And how is this done? Parallel back to the first, the second verse. In obeying the truth through the Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is moving amongst us? This morning, he may be moving in your heart and mind as you've heard the truth. 
Are you obeying the truth? What is obeying the truth? It's back to the question of believing. It's believing, and here in this case, goes on in the practical world, and we'll come to this later time more detail, but it's the unfeigned love of the brethren. It has an outworking, an outworking, and a love for one another out of a pure heart that is, that is fervent. This morning, if you believed, rejoice in who you are because of the working of God in your life. And this morning, if you haven't believed, believe on him, trust him, and make him your hope and continue in that faith and in that hope for the rest of your days. Great God, we give thanks to you for your word, for revealing to us these beautiful, wonderful, incredible truths. May your people this day be encouraged, challenged, that we might know who we are in you. Lord, may it result in a fervent love and charity towards the brethren and in the world around us, as well as a holy, sanctified life. Father, we surrender ourselves to you and give ourselves to you. And Lord, I pray this morning for the one who has not believed, that today they would believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.